Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Um, last night we talked about things being out of control and chaotic in our world and what it meant for us to not be disconnected from who we really are or be disconnected from our relationships, or be disconnected in our relationship with God. And we're going to continue in that same conversation this morning. Thank you, sir. Um, and I want to let you know, anybody forget anything to bring anything this weekend. Did you arrive here this weekend and opened your bag and your suitcase and said, I forgot something? Show of hands. Anything that you can share that you forgot? What did we leave at home? Toothbrush? Sweat is too, not a good day for sweatshirt not be there. Shampoo, what else? That's good for the weekend. You left your phone, but you don't feel like it's good, though, do you? No? How about you? Your retainer. Yeah. An extra pair of shoes. You can't get you as muddy this weekend. Your extra blanket. It's going to be pretty cold. Your warm jacket, your Bible, oh no, anybody else? You forgot what? Your sleeping bag. Man, y'all, y'all not going to sleep well. How about you? Your wallet. Anybody going to take care of him? He doesn't have any money this week. Anybody over here? What did you, anybody forget anything? Your unicorn shirt. My daughter loves unicorns. She will be sad for you. I, in the midst of all the craziness of getting ready to come up here, forgot to cut my hair. <laughs> True story. I usually keep it bald. And then I got in the car, and I'm driving, and I'm like, oh, man, I didn't cut my hair. I got a little, you see that little bit of hair? And now y'all going to see how far back my hairline is. <laughs> in the midst of all the craziness. And as you get ready, there's certain things that are out of control. They can be small things, like Things didn't get packed because I had planes. So I'm a pastor in the city, and I'm there because I love my city, and I'm trying to uh, be an impact there. I got a phone call that a pastor that I served with, his son was robbed that morning and was in the hospital. He got hurt in a, ro- in a robbery. And then as I'm leaving that and I'm driving away from home, I drive through a, car, uh, a crime scene to get all the way up here, and I'm driving through the city and thinking, things are out of control. Now... Sometimes people often think of the city as the the epicenter of things being out of control. But thank God, I was able to be a youth pastor at a church in the suburbs for six years. And so I also know there's craziness everywhere for about six years. And then I left to go start a church in southwest Baltimore almost three and a half years ago. And in my first year of being a pastor in the city, I had three students that I was my former youth students who passed away because of drug use. I'm sharing all these things with you because I always desire to seek every opportunity to be honest and to be real and be true for you and for us to realize if there is craziness in this world, how does it impact us? And George, can you help me know how to stand strong and tall in the midst of a crazy world? Can we wrestle with that this morning? Y'all ready to do this? I need a brave volunteer. Brave volunteer. You had, to, you had to hand up first. Come on up here. Yeah, yeah. No, you had your hand up first. Right here, right here with the gray sweater. Give him a round of applause. Give him some support. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
There's a difference between the clapping people will do tomorrow at the Super Bowl and the clapping that you do at a golf tournament. Y'all just did the golf tournament. Let's try Super Bowl. Give him a round of applause. What's your name? Akil. Akil? Nice to meet you, Akil. Akil, are you a student or a leader? Good, good, because you're going to look like a grown student. Um, so, Akil, I'm going to give you this task. This is a 24-piece puzzle. I'm going to give you a minute to put it together. You, th you think you can do that? No. No? Believe me, yourself. Hold on, don't start. I didn't start the clock yet, Akil. Look, Akil's trying to get an advantage. All right, Akil, I'm going to time you. I'm going to give you a minute. I think you can do it, Akil. Let's give him a round of applause. Give him some support. Come on. You want 90 seconds instead? 90 <laughs> seconds? We'll give him 90 seconds. I need a student. You need a student? Who, call one of your students up. That's a good one. Who? They got to come up here. Who was it? Uh, who know how to do puzzles? No, no, you got to call them. Tell them. I'm going to go get them. What's their name? Tell me. Tell me one I need to harass. Who is it? Just tell me, Khalil, I'm ready, man. Jamie. Who, Jamie? Come on, Jamie, give him a round of applause, everybody. Yeah. Jamie, that means he believes in you, Jamie. He needs your help. This is like, you ever watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You get one <laughs> phone call. This is it. One minute, here we go. They're going to put this puzzle together, and I want you guys to encourage them. Come on, give them some more encouragement. <laughs> they have one minute as they put this puzzle together. Now, here's the reality. As they put this together... Sometimes in our lives, when things are out of control, our first response is that we want to take control of it, right? When our life seems to be in many broken pieces, the first thing we try to do is put the pieces together. Now, hopefully we get more than one minute. These guys are, what, what would you be your advice? Where do you start when you're putting a puzzle together? The corners, the edges. Guys, I'm not going to tell you how their progress is going because I want them to keep. It's pretty bad. <laughs> I don't think they connected any of the pieces yet. All right, here we go. 30 seconds. Yeah, we did horrible, guys. Sorry. 15 seconds. Y'all can at least do uh, two pieces together. There we go. Uh, no, uh, uh, no, flip it, flip it. Maybe that'll work. So I should have told you before I would call you up here, right? Yeah, I like puzzles, Akil. It was a setup. It was a setup. All right, here we go. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to still put it together, but no pressure. How about we do that? I'm going to give you longer than one minute because your minute has passed. But <laughs> I want you to put it together so everybody can see what you have. All right? So what we're going to discuss this morning is how when things are out of control, we want to get control, and we want to put the puzzle pieces together. And to be honest, Akil, this is really good, because sometimes we still get all the puzzle pieces, and it still makes no sense. And we got to try to take our time and try to put those puzzle pieces together. Sometimes, here's another thing that happened. What did Akil do when he realized he might not be able to put the puzzle pieces together? Call somebody else in. That's very, very wise. That's something to take in. So this morning, what I'm going to tell you is a little bit about my story, um, I don't always tell my story because sometimes people hear my story and they say, oh, my life is not like Georgia's life. And I'm glad that your life is not like my life. Some of you may be able to relate, but the main reason we share our stories is that we all realize that we're human beings. If you, how, who's the youngest person here? Who's like 12? 
11, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I'm sorry. Who's 10? Who's 10? Nobody's 10? You're 10? Are you 10? What's your name? Palo. Palo? You are the, anybody else 10? Palo, something you did not, does somebody else raise their hand? Palo, something you might not know. You are the youngest person here this weekend. Stand up, stand up, Palo. Look, everybody, Palo, 10-year-old. Welcome. Who is the oldest student here? I'm not going to ask you leaders. I'm not going to ask you all yet. Oldest student. Who's 17? Do we have, we have high school, right? 17. No high school? Middle school. Let's see. What's that? 14? 13? Who's 14? Are you, uh, are y'all all, okay, 14. Who's going to, where? Right here, All of you are 14? You're 14? Nobody's 15, correct? It's not a leader. All right, so if you're 14, stand up. Here's all our older, older, older teenagers here. Let it go. Give them a round of applause. Our teenage leaders. Yeah, that means y'all going to be leaders next year, right? Leaders next year. Two more years. Yeah, I'm just raising the expectations a little bit higher. But here's, here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes when we are in the ages between 10 and 14, we think that our leaders or a speaker for a certain weekend have figured everything out about God and about life. Do you believe that? Anybody think your leaders know everything? Leaders, you see how much they think about you? They don't think you know everything. But the reality is we teach you what we already know. Our journey of faith, it honestly never ends. God is so big that if George Hopkins knew everything about him, he'd be pretty small. Y'all get that? So I'm going to share a bit of my story so that you can just hear a little bit of how my puzzle pieces have come together. What do we got going on here now, guys? Coming along? Let's give them 30 more seconds. Give them a round of applause. One more last encouragement. They have something coming together here. This is coming together. I wish I could show you guys what they have. I will in a minute. I'll show you what they have. But they got some good teamwork. They're communicating. Communication is good. They're working together. That's good leadership right there, Akil. Bring him up here. All right, guys. That's, 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 uh, I'm going to relieve you of your torture. All right? Let's show them what you do have so far. Let's turn it around. I'm going to put it up here on the stage so people can see. Give them a round of applause. Thank you guys for your courage. Listen, it's not easy coming up here and doing things that you're not necessarily comfortable with, but they did it. Look. They got it there? Anybody know? What? What is that? Going to rocket ship, going through the sky. Yeah, little Einstein. What ages did we say we had here again? So this is central right here, right? Yeah, yeah, we got to work through that. Well, I'm glad that you like little Einsteins, central. But here's what I want you to know. So I grew up in South Baltimore, grew up in a place called Cherry Hill. Um, I grew up without my dad, but here's the craziest thing. My dad's name is George Adam Hopkins, senior, which makes me George Adam Hopkins, Jr. But the weirdest thing in my life is that I never knew my dad. He was never around. So he's come into my life maybe three or four times in my life, but I've always had this moment of wondering, 
who in the world am I at a young age? If my dad's not here, but I'm a junior, then who am I? Then it got even crazier because I was one of four kids. I had two older sisters and a younger brother, and I grew up in a rough neighborhood, and George is not a popular name there, okay? Just to let y'all know. And this is my family name, y'all ready? My oldest sister is Kanisha. Then right under her is Nakia. And then my younger brother is Tremont. And in the middle of that is... One time, side note, the, the police came to my house because somebody said that someone was in my house, and it wasn't. But they knocked on my house door, and they said, hey, we have a warrant. We're going to come check it. I was a teenager. And they said, uh, what's your name? I said, George. Well, I didn't say it like that. I was scared. I said, George. And they said, what's your name on the street? Uh, George. <laughs> I was like, y'all need to just leave right now. I'm, no, I'm not even rough. I'm not even cool. But my name was George. I really didn't like it. And we went through a whole lot. My mom raised four of us by herself. We had a lot of issues with poverty. We had a lot of issues inside the home. I had a lot of issues of wondering who I am because of my name, because of where I grew up. And I want you to hear, like, there was a lot of perseverance. There was a lot of faith. People often ask me, George, how did you get out of the place you were in? And all I can think of is because God was in my life. And so I ended up going to a really good high school. I ended up playing football, I ended up playing football at Morgan State University, and I was graduating from Morgan State University, but when people hear and see who I am, they don't realize that every single day of my life was me trying to put the puzzle pieces together. And what you want you to understand is that sometimes you might say, well, George, now you're perfectly fine. Let me tell you this thing. If your dad was never in your life, and some of you might be able to connect with this, I want to tell you this now. Your dad, if he's not in your life now, you have the impact of that as an adult. So even when my dad comes back into my life and leaves two days later, He's still not there. I still don't have a dad to call and say, Dad, I'm going to buy a house. What do I do? Those issues that some of us have been through, those things might be there for the rest of your life as you try to put the pieces together. But I want you to know that God will continue to work through you. I'm sharing this with you because I'm going to talk to you about the puzzle pieces. But I want you to know that I'm only sharing with you with the pieces that have already been put together. There is still work for God to do in my life. And guess what? There is still work for God to do in yours. Amen? Amen? One of the things I learned in my journey of life, my journey of faith is this, where God leads you by faith, you should never leave because of fear. Y'all hear that? When God leads you to a location by faith, you're like, Lord, I believe you. I'm going to this church. I'm going to this youth group. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to play this sport. Whatever God leads you to by faith, never leave it by fear because oftentimes there will be a moment where you become afraid and you want to leave and you have to ask yourself, well, what brought me here in the first place? And if faith brought you there, let faith also keep you there. I want to tell you of a story of a man in the Bible named Elijah. Show of hands, who've heard of Elijah before? Most of us have. What do you know about Elijah? Not Shah, there's two. Elijah. What do you know about him? Anybody? He was a prophet. He was a prophet. Good. Okay, he's, I'll tell you some more about him. Elijah did some amazing things. He was prosecuted by a king. He was prosecuted by a king. That's, that's well, Yes. That, that, yes, he did not die. That's good. Uh, so we're going to go to Elijah, and I'm going to read these few verses to you. Elijah, um, at 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 3 to 5. 1 Kings 19, verses 3 to 5. Now, what happened before this moment happened is Elijah was a man that prayed, and he prayed that it wouldn't rain, and guess what? It didn't rain. When I was a little boy, my mom told me, she said, George, you know we can control the weather. She said, we, God loves us. You know we can control the weather. All we have to do is tell the weather to stop, and we can do it. And you know what? I believe my mom. 
And one day it was raining, and I went out back on my porch in South Baltimore, and it was pouring down raining, and I went out back, and I said, rain, stop! <laughs> what do you think happened? Nothing. Kept raining. But that was okay, because I can control the weather. My mom told me that we could control the weather. And so I just yelled it three more times, rain, stop! And it kept raining. And then I went back in the house and thought, now my neighbors think I'm crazy, right? <laughs> my mom told me something that wasn't accurate, and now my neighbors think I'm crazy. But Elijah was a man that prayed, and it stopped raining. And then he prayed again and again and again, and it started raining again. He had experienced God in a powerful way in his life. He prayed that God would bring down fire from heaven, and it did. God was in Elijah's life and did all these amazing things. And where he was, he was led there by faith. God had taken him there. So here's what happens in Elijah chapter 19, verses 3 to 5. This man of God who witnessed God work in mighty ways, it says this, Elijah was afraid. Never leave where God leads you by faith because of fear. Elijah was afraid because a woman told him she was going to kill him, basically. It says he ran for his life when he came to Bathsheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So here's where Elijah is. God has worked mightily in his life. He went back to a kingdom. It even says in the Bible that he outran a horse. It says the hand of the Lord was upon him. He ran back so fast to the kingdom. But once he got back to the kingdom, the queen there didn't like what he did. And she said, Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Because of what you've done, and Elijah got afraid. Now, think about this. Elijah prayed, and rain stopped. He prayed, and rain came. It says the Lord hand went upon him. He outran the horse. Like Elijah experienced God in all these ways, and one person says, I'm going to do something to you, and Elijah runs away. We do that in our lives sometimes. We experience God in many and powerful ways, and then we get to one moment, one circumstance, one situation, one season of life where all of a sudden we're like, oh no, has God abandoned me? And we flee away. So Elijah runs into the wilderness, and he basically lays there and says, God, I'm done. I'm so tired. Just let me die. Now, if I was God, and I'm looking at this man, I would be like, Elijah, look at all I've done, and you're still giving up already. But this is what happens. God then gives them food and says, Elijah, I love you. I'm going to show you who I am. I want to read these verses to you. Continuing in 1 Kings. I want to read these verses to you. And I have um, a lot of verses that I gave to us. I gave a little bit too many verses to those who are controlling the slides. If we can go to the slide that starts with him. And it says, what are you doing here, Elijah? I gave up too many verses there. Still in 1 Kings 19. And there we are. Thank you. Um, and it says that God says to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. This is what Elijah says. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. Last night I told us this. Chaos can cause us to feel isolated and feel like we're the only ones. Elijah gave up because he believed he was the only one. Then it says this. Uh, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice of him said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I want you to hear this, this question that God asked. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Do you think God knows why Elijah's there? Anybody? Show of hands. If you think God knows why Elijah's there, then why would he ask this question? He's asking this question because Elijah is where he's not supposed to be. By faith, God led him to the kingdom. By fear, Elijah ran to the wilderness. God asks us this question often. Why are you here? Because that's not where I've led you. How did you get out of the place that I've led you? And then God says, Elijah, go out to the mountain. I'm going to show you myself. And as he goes out there, the wind blows. Is God in the wind? Earthquake comes. Is God in the earthquake? A big fire comes. Is God in the fire? And he hears a gentle whisper. And it was in a whisper that caused Elijah. It was such a powerful whisper that Elijah had to cover up his face with a cloak. Now, it wasn't even the earthquake that caused him to cover up. It was a whisper that caused him to cover up. And what I want you to hear, Elijah heard God in a whisper, and that whisper was so powerful. But as we talked about last night, if the world is so chaotic and we are so chaotic, you know what we don't have space for? To hear the gentle whisper of God. I hope this weekend that you'll hear the gentle whisper of God. But here's what I really want to get to. My wife and I have been married for about 12 years. We live in a house. My wife lived in this house with her best friend. When we got married, we moved into the house. We rented the house from our best friend. And after living there for a few years, we bought the house from our best friend. Anybody know the biggest difference between renting a house and owning one? Anybody? You have your hand up first, young lady. Can't say it a little bit louder. The mortgage, yeah. So when you're renting, you're just spending money. When you're mortgage, every payment goes towards you actually fully owning the house. Any other things, any other differences? The landlord. What about landlord? Um, he, he actually, the landlord actually owns the house. Uh-huh. And it's like kind of borrowing from him. I'm borrowing, if I rent, I'm borrowing it from the landlord, yes. So if you rent, you borrow the landlord? That's an adult response right there. <laughs> When you rent a house, like we did when we first got married, and something goes wrong, you just pick up the phone and you call the landlord who owns it. And they are responsible for taking care of it. If they don't take care of it, you could literally take them to court. When you own the house, there is nobody else to call except you. I enjoyed renting. If the basement flooded, I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to worry about it. And then when we owned the house, I was like, this is fun. We're adults. We own it. And then something went wrong, and I'm going to pick up the phone, and I realized there's nobody to call. I have to fix it. Here's the thing when it comes to our lives. Are you a renter that when something goes wrong, you can call the landlord to address it? Or are you the landlord, and you try to fix things when things get out of control? We are living our faith in one of those categories. Are you a renter that when something goes wrong, something's out of whack, you're like, oh, I ain't got to worry about that. Let me just get into prayer. Let me ask my father, father, something's going on. You own this life of mine. Come and fix it. Well, are you a landlord who says this life is my own? And when things are out of control, guess who has to fix it? Me. You see, the difference in it is this. We talk about putting the lives of our pieces of our lives together. And we say to ourselves, I need to figure things out. 
How do the piece, puzzle pieces come together? And Akil, you actually helped me make this point because sometimes it's really difficult for us to do it. Our faith life is not about us putting the pieces together. Our faith life is about God putting the pieces of our lives together for us. I'm going to end with this story. I want everybody to hear this part. I want everybody to hear this. I want you to hear this. It's just crazy. I need you to hear this. I told you I'm a pastor in southwest Baltimore, correct? Yeah. Right? I've been there for about three and a half years. I grew up in south Baltimore, and I went down there without knowing some things. So I, I started this church in southwest Baltimore. And you know what I learned a, a year into doing this? I learned that I was born in Baltimore, which I knew that. But my mom told me this. She was pregnant with me in Colorado. And she didn't want to give birth to me in Colorado. She wanted me, for some reason, to be born in Baltimore. So my mom and dad moved all the way back to Baltimore just for me to be born. Isn't that crazy? And can you guess where I was born? Southwest Baltimore. There's a hospital down there called University of Maryland. Our church is right down the street from the University of Maryland. I had no idea that when God was calling me to start a church, it was a block from where I was born. Then my mom said, oh, yeah, we lived in the house on Lombard Street, which if you know Southwest Baltimore is right there. And I drove by the house like I was born and my first days were here. My first days were not in Cherry Hill where I thought they were. They were right in the community I felt God calling me to go to to start a church. 30 years later. What? Could I have put the pieces together more? No. When the Lord is putting the pieces together in our lives, when you begin to see him put them together, They're always reminding us of how glorious he is. They're always blowing our mind and saying, man, Lord, your ways are much higher than our ways. Your thoughts are much higher than my thoughts. If you put the pieces together, people are like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. When God puts it together and you say, you know what? I'm here to start a church. I didn't even know it. I was born right down the street. God's just bringing me right back to where I was born. And I I didn't have to be born down the street. I was supposedly born in Colorado. God is doing something amazing. Not just in my life, but also in yours. But I encourage you with this. Will you be the landlord who determines your own life? Or will you be the renter that says, Lord, when it's in your control, it's not only better, but it's much more beautiful. I hope and pray that we will learn what it means to be renters and allow the Lord to put the pieces together for us. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to dismiss for small groups. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are orchestrating all of our lives in this world that is out of control, that you are still present, that you're still near, that you're still working. I thank you for the example of Elijah, who you did mighty things through, that even when he fled your presence in fear and said he was by himself, that you would later reveal to him he wasn't alone, that there were many more that you had preserved to do your work. So, Lord, first put out that lie that we are the only ones. And Lord, would you remind us that we don't have to fix our lives, but that we can look to you as the Lord of our life, as the Lord of our land, and that you have a better picture in mind for what you desire to do in us and through us. Lord, as we go into small groups, as we discuss these realities, these truths, would you touch our hearts and minds that we would let go and that we would allow you to have control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.